Hey guys, it's Tyler. Just coming to you post-production for an intro on episode five. We're going to go over film scores in this episode. If you haven't listened to episode four yet, I uh, recommend you do because we go over our top film soundtracks and they're kind of one in one recorded them at the same time pretty much. So I uh, really hope you guys enjoy this episode. As usual, it's me, Adam, and Aaron. And uh, if you haven't already, Recommend that you go and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, give us five stars, recommend to a friend, uh, listen to the, the playlist on Spotify, and uh, yeah, really hope you guys uh, like this episode. Okay, yeah, so for scores, again, I don't really have many. Um, I, I kind of feel like we should all just ignore the obvious, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, just the classics that everyone's heard a million times that are amazing. So shout out to those. Um, but I really, really like Christopher Nolan, Hans Zimmer collaborations. So Christopher Nolan um, did Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Inception. Three movies, at least Interstellar and Inception, that I feel like a lot of people have seen. And he brought on for those movies Hans Zimmer to do the score for all three. And like that's just the holy grail of scores right there. It's unbelievable the the way it matches every single movie, I couldn't even tell you which one's my favorite, probably interstellar, but inception also amazing. And then Dunkirk. Have you guys seen Dunkirk before? Yeah, I saw that in IMAX. It's amazing. So the first time when I saw it in theaters, I actually haven't seen it since, but I was so confused. I didn't realize like for the first half of the movie that it was taking place over different times, you know, over the course of a week, a day and an hour or whatever it was. I didn't get what was going on. I'm just like, this timing does not make any sense. But just the use of the ticking in all the songs, just that little clock tick in the background, and the, especially the um, the Tom Hardy scenes where he's in the plane. It, like, you're on the edge of your seat, super suspenseful. Um, I mean, they nailed it. They knocked it out of the park with all three of those movies. So I am a huge fan of all that. And then, what? what's that? You got to throw the Dark Knight in there, too. Dark Knight can go in there. I mean, did Hans Zimmer do those? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, he did. He oh, did. Wait, maybe he did. Holy shit! Yeah, he did. He did it. Wow. And he so did Blade Runner 2049 too. Any of those like <laughs> massive, super cinematic, like dramatic scores are that's his style. I actually just started yeah. watching this movie um, with Christian Slater, and I'm blanking on the other person's name, but um, it's an early '90s movie. I don't know why. But he surprisingly did the score for it. It didn't. It wasn't like a big action movie. It was uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, though. True Romance. That's what it's called. And I, I didn't. I didn't finish oh, it. I got like ten minutes in, and the stream I had didn't work very well. But um, yeah. And I was like, wait, Hans Zimmer did the score for this? Like this? It was like a cheesy kind of '90s score. And so I'm like, wow. He usually does like this big orchestras. It wasn't like that at all. It's kind of cool. <laughs> Damn, I, I've heard that movie. I'd like to see it. Uh, kind of a snub, I guess, for soundtracks was uh, Pulp Fiction, oh, speaking of yeah. Tarantino. Another, obviously, really good soundtrack, which his new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when that comes out, I can only imagine how amazing that soundtrack's going to be as well. Um, but, yeah, so shout out to Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan. Keep it up. And then, not as much score-related, more so just original songs. I, again, I even get confused with like Oscars and awards, like the difference between score, original song, soundtrack, I don't know. Um, but School of Rock, the songs that they made for School of Rock, fucking rock. Those are so good. 
You're not hardcore. Oh, oh you're not hardcore. <laughs> unless you live hardcore. Jack, unless Black. you live hardcore. Yeah, that movie, I feel like, have you seen School of the Legend of the Rent yeah. was way past Rent due. was way hardcore. <laughs> oh, he says past two hardcore, whatever. We got it wrong. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that, that movie all around's great. And all the songs they play, the songs they play at the Battle of the Bands. Um, that, yeah, so I really like that. So I guess that'd be original songs. But uh, I also, another uh, score, original song, I don't know what you'd call it, would be the theme music to Austin Powers. Okay. I could listen to that every morning waking up and I feel like I'd have a great day. That just, it makes you ready to just start your day. It's so happy and happy-go-lucky and also goofy as hell. You can't take it seriously. And I just think of Austin Powers' stupid face every time I hear it. And it's just like, just what a ridiculous song for such a ridiculous movie. But it's actually like good music, I think. Um, So I really enjoy those two. And then... One thing I kind of forgot uh, was the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Uh, not the soundtrack as a whole. I mean, there are, I guess, kind of cool songs in it. But I couldn't find them when I was looking for them over the past couple of weeks. But there's a couple songs they play. I think they play the same song twice in the movie. They play it once when they're driving, like kind of near the beginning when they're driving out west. So they're like barely out of Rhode Island probably. And they're just showing like scenes of nature and like the sheep mobile and... Um, uh, it's like this, just the most classic cookie cutter sounding '90s, like alternative rock song. And then they play it again later in the movie when Mary and Lloyd are going back to the hotel to get the briefcase. But it just fit the movie so well. It's just one of those things that like always sticks in my head, and I remember about the movie. And again, I'm not sure if it's a real song or not. But there's this turnover song called "Living Small" off of the album Good Nature, and my brother and I joke about it. It's like I think of all their songs, it like doesn't fit in. Like it, it just stands out. Like, why is this on here? This doesn't sound like turnover. And we joke that it sounds exactly like a song they would play in a '90s movie where the main characters are road tripping. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like those '90s alternative rock songs in '90s movies where it's showing road trip scenes. That is like the aesthetic the song <laughs> puts out. It's so funny how well it like. I've showed it to people and I'm like, holy shit, this sounds exactly like a '90s road trip song. So um, it's funny how you can tie together Dumb and Dumber and Turnover, but. uh yeah, I really like those. And then for my favorite score, which is also in probably my favorite movie other than Goodfellas, Annihilation. This movie came out a year ago. Uh, did not get, I don't know how well it was received. I think critics for the most part received it well, but like audiences were just kind of like, uh, I'm not really sure. And I think it was Paramount who made it. They were getting bad results from the test screenings and they thought that it was just simply too fucked up and the general audience wouldn't care about it or wouldn't understand it. So they were, they were scared. They, they kind of pulled their funding on the advertising and they ended up selling it to Netflix. So it came out on Netflix in Australia though. It was overseas Netflix. I don't even know if it's hit the U S Netflix market yet or not. So it wasn't even in that many theaters and I had never even heard of it or seen a trailer. And someone I saw on Twitter that has a good movie taste tweeted about it and said how like it was one of the best sci-fi movies I've ever seen. So I watched a trailer, was instantly sold, went and saw it in theaters with my brother. We're like, yeah, let's go try this out. You know, it could, could be a good movie. And I remember just after it ended, we sat there for like two minutes in complete silence. Like didn't even look at each other, didn't know what to think. And then we like, you know, just our minds are blown. It's such a perfect movie. It's terrifying. It's not, it's hard to describe without ruining it. It's not alien based. It's not like an alien movie. 
but there is extraterrestrial life involved with it. And it's in the last 15 minutes of the movie. I just, I essentially tell people they need to watch the movie for the last 15 minutes. It's like the best scene ever. Just, you won't know what you're watching. Like, I don't think most movies have a good take on alien life. I feel like they kind of fuck it up. Like it's little green guys who are here to kill us. And the way Annihilation portrays it, just like, you can't comprehend it. If aliens were to come here, I feel like we wouldn't be able to comprehend what we were seeing in real life. And the movie captures that so well. And the score that they're playing in the background is like, it's haunting. It, It can give you nightmares. It's just so scary. It's so scary. It's pretty. I know it sounds weird, but I think people might understand that. And I would just go back and listen to the song on YouTube for like the next month every day. I just could not stop listening to it. I've seen the movie at least six times since. Um, I I recommend it to everyone. I'm just obsessed with it. And this score is fucking crazy. It's so good. It makes a movie even better, which is almost not possible. And then it's all score-based. There's only one actual um, or like real song in the movie, which is Helplessly Hoping by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys know that song Can't or not. Very good song. They actually play it twice in the movie. Both times they use it, it was perfectly timed out. And yeah, that movie is a 10 out of 10 um, masterpiece, visually very stunning. And uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. So, you know, I'm not sure yeah. if it's similar at all, but I kind of think of the movie Arrival, which I is also an excellent <laughs> movie and yep. also great soundtrack. It uses. Uh, Max Richter song in like the opening scene. I can't remember which one it was, but um, as soon as you said you were thinking of something like he's about to say arrival, mm-hmm. yeah, they they get they get. I would say on the terms of aliens and not knowing what we would be if we'd be able to comprehend it or like they're not here to kill us, they're very similar in that. But arrival is more focused on the aliens themselves. I'd say mm-hmm. annihilation. I, again, I don't think I ruin anything, but annihilation. It's the alien life, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really come until the end. The more so, the movie's just it's a huge metaphor for self-destruction and um it just follows a group of people who go into this mysterious bubble that appeared in like the florida swamplands and it's growing and they go in there to investigate what's happening and there's a bunch of mutations and stuff that's causing weird shit to happen so it's not a horror movie but it's got some action in it it's just essentially nothing but suspense the entire time and the climax is perfect okay you said I think you said something about how you would recommend this movie just to watch for like the final scene or like the last 15 minutes or whatever. I wish Pete, I would want, I want so many people to see that scene itself that like just for the scene itself, I tell people you have to see this movie. It's worth mm-hmm. it. Even if you don't enjoy the movie, but the movie's also really good. Okay. Up to it. I have a movie like that too. Have you guys seen the movie Anthropoid? No, Mm-mm. man, that movie is incredible. World, World War II movie about the uh, true story about the, assassination attempt on Hitler's second-in-command. And it has this super intense um, fight scene in a church for, like, the ending of the movie, like, the second half of it. And, man, that's that's one of those ones that, like, you, I just, I'm trying to get more people to watch it because most people haven't. And it also has a great and score, too. Thank you for bringing that up. I for, left out a super big one I wanted to talk about, Kingsman, the fight scene in the church. If you guys have seen yeah, Kingsman. Seen no, I haven't. Yeah, the cell phones. Yep. There's a scene where a plot line in the movie has kind of been building up and it 
happens and essentially people are have a chip in their heads that's controlling them and the it goes off and they just chaos happens and everyone's trying to kill each other in this church in the south and it's playing Freebird and the main character in the movie, he's like this bad badass secret service agent, just fucks up all these people in the most crazy ways. He's killing people with Bibles and spears and like it just and it's like one huge tracking shot too, the entire scene, I'm pretty sure. I mean it's up there with like the coolest fight scenes I've ever seen and it's playing Freebird the whole time, so your heart's pumping. And that's like one of those scenes you just want people to watch the movie for the scene itself. Yeah, that's an epic scene. It's so good. But I, I want to watch... What's that movie called that you talked about? It's called Anthropoid. Definitely just look Anthropoid. it up and watch the trailer. I mean, it's a pretty good representation Sounds of good. the movie. And yeah, it's very intense. Like, you, I don't even know how to explain it, but it might be my favorite World War II movie. Um, Dunkirk mm-hmm. is one of them too that you mentioned already. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think that's all my stuff. I'm probably not even going to include that, uh, score from Annihilation on the playlist because I just want it to be like a surprise if anyone watches the movie. Like, I don't want them to have any idea what it sounds like. It's like a very droning, like noise. Like it, it kind of sounds like the noise that aliens make in Arrival actually. Okay. And it just, it'll give you chills, but yeah, we could move on to Tyler here. So I've got two real big ones for, uh, scores. My first is done by my favorite director of all time. He's just known for making really epic movies that they, each one of them that I feel like is a masterpiece, but it's uh, Stanley Kubrick. And the movie I chose was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, so similar to kind of Interstellar, 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's probably one of the first ever um big sci-fi movie set in space it was uh created in 1968 and starring kind of a list of no names here kior delia harry lockwood and douglas rain and it's inspired by arthur she clark's uh short story story but um really there's not much story to it other than this computer called hail 3000 who supposedly can't fail and uh it's the latest of technologies and they're kind of out space trying to investigate these weird radians they're getting from a planet and they lost connection with the science team that's up there studying that um weird connection but i've seen it probably four or five times but the most recent time i saw it in the original 70 millimeters that it was filmed in and then uh shot at uh i guess uh displayed on uh back in 1968 and it was playing at this local theater that I'd heard about here in Chicago called the Music Box. And it's an independent theater. They got like two screens. They're known for playing a lot of, you know, they'll play newer movies, but they'll have like some festivals there and some older movies. And they were always talking about in this film podcast they listened to set in Chicago, Music Box this, Music Box that. And it's actually a really nice theater. And so I saw that there that weekend uh that friday and actually i didn't realize it but christopher nolan was there uh the saturday and sunday of the screenings to uh, open up the the movie and uh do like a little intro to it which is really cool but uh so i saw that and they did this overture in the movie so back then they would do overtures of music where they just play song without any like video for the first like five to ten minutes and they did it to um 
orchestral music. And so this has got like a theme that you guys are probably really familiar with, but it's Richard Strauss's Also Sprach Zathustra. And that probably sounds like nothing you ever heard of, but when I hum this song, you guys are going to know exactly what it is. And he brought it into the kind of namesake. It's like, Oh, that. <laughs> From the drums. That's that song. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually had this on vinyl. Okay. And uh, it's amazing. <laughs> so good. I'm trying to remember like what I know that from because it's it's something stupid everything. like a like a Sonic commercial or something like that probably. But but yeah, from everything. But it's so like, epic yeah. in this movie, man. And this movie, it's you have to see. I can't believe it was shot in 1968. There's just scenes of the the ship floating in space. And it's so beautiful in the way they shot, like the, I, I, I can't even describe it. It's amazing. It looks better than anything you could imagine the day because it's all practical effects. And they actually think that Kubrick faked the moon landing because he was able to film it in such a crazy way, this movie, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. There's like a bunch of theories of the shining, like the kids wearing this sweater that has Apollo on it. And they think like there's a sign to show that he faked the moon landing and all that. It's pretty hilarious, it's obviously. <laughs> Bullshit, but. Imagine being that good at your job that people think you fake the moon landing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and there's another scene where um, it's just kind of uh, floating in space, and they use another classic uh, piece of music, Johann Strauss's uh, "Waltz on the Beautiful Blue Danube." And uh, so, yeah, I have this on vinyl. I've listened to it many times, and it's just very interesting music that he put like and it's obviously stuff that was way it's a score but it's stuff that he's pulling from history it's not you know like that music was written for the movie or anything but uh yeah so 2001 space odyssey and i could go on about kubrick he's put out so many good films um i'm sure you guys have seen maybe clockwork orange or the shining um full metal jacket eyes wide shut uh to name a few um barry linden but yeah, and then uh, the other movie I really wanted to talk about by another one of my favorite directors, and it's actually based off of a TV show that they had made into a movie when the um, second of the season, season of the show got canceled, but it's 1992's Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, directed by David Lynch, starring Kyle MacLachlan and David Bowie, Ray Weiss, uh, Matt Chinameek, and uh, Keith Sutherland. Oh, and Harry Dean Stanton. Late great Harry Dean Stanton, um, awesome actor. This was uh, score was done by Angelo Bedalamenti, the same person that did the score for Twin Peaks, the television show, and the series they brought back uh, a couple years ago on Showtime for what was kind of like the third season there. And uh, really out there, weird movie. It's almost like Dream State. I, the television show is very similar. It's very good. Uh, a lot of scenes that just don't even make any sense, just long drawn out scenes that have nothing to do with the show or the movie. And they'll just play out and that will be it. And they'll just move on. And there's like no reason why they were in the show, but just to be there. <laughs> there's a lot of that. And uh, just really good music. And in terms of the score, it's something that sticks in your head. Like when you hear the Twin Peaks theme song, like you know it instantly. And it's, very classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually won the 1990 Grammy for uh, Best Pop Instrumental for that theme. And he's won a Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, Angela Bedalenti has, uh, for doing soundtracks from the World Soundtrack Awards, which don't know what that is, but 
sounds like a pretty high honor. Um, he's also done the sound or the scores for um, other David Lynch movies like uh, 1986's Blue Velvet, which is another really, really good movie. With, uh, it's really interesting. And then uh, 2001's Mulholland Drive, which if you want to talk about dreams, I think that movie is pretty much all one dream. Very, very weird uh, movie, but they're just you watch his movies and you think about them like days afterwards, they stick in your mind and never kind of leave like earworms. But those are my two scores. And <laughs> I don't need to drag on yeah. any longer. They're let Aaron kind of finish this. <laughs> cool. Um, so when it comes to scores, you know, I think a fundamental primal part of being human is just that we enjoy being told stories and it's like something that transcends time and culture, and a film score tells a story without using any words. And that's kind of why they're fun to listen to separate from the movie. I don't really listen to soundtracks. I mean, the ones that I named off are ones that I remember being good in the movie, but I do listen to scores. Um, so I have three main ones that I wanted to talk about, um, and then I have uh, a couple of composers that I wanted to give shout-outs to also. Um, the first one that I want to bring up real quick, just because I just watched this movie, it's on HBO, Phantom Thread. Oh. Um, that's a Johnny Greenwood score, the guy from Radiohead we brought up earlier. That movie, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a drama about a um, couturier, I think it's called, a dressmaker in London in the like post-war era. Um, that one's pretty good. Tyler, Adam, you guys seen it? I haven't, but... Heard about it. I know it had some Oscar buzz. That's how I heard about it. And then, um, uh, yeah, I've heard about it a lot. Directed by so uh, Paul Thomas Anderson again. Uh, yeah, and it's starring um, the guy that did Lincoln and um, Daniel, Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, and uh, yeah. there will be blood. Yep. So very, I heard it's pretty similar, like because the same actor, same composer, same director as There Will Be Blood. So I need to see that. Yeah, it's good. Um, so one of mine that we've also talked about a lot is Interstellar, um, with Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer, the goat of film composers for all intents and purposes, at least in terms of commercial success. Um, Yeah. We mentioned a lot of Hans Zimmer movies. Uh, one that I wanted to throw in there is The Lion King. Uh, (laughs) The most grown up score for kids movie ever. I'm just you know, talking on Hans Zimmer's body of work going from, you know, we already mentioned like Dark Knight, Blade Runner, Dunkirk. Um, So in the Interstellar score, something interesting I read about it, composers usually become involved in the process towards the end of film creation, but Hans Zimmer actually began composing two years prior to the release of Interstellar. And he also uh, lived as a hermit in isolation as part of his creative process, given that the movie is in part about being alone in space. Um, Some of the solo piano parts in the score, Zimmer played himself. Like, he was really, um, really trying to make a masterpiece for this movie. Um, To me, it's the most captivating work of Hans Zimmer and the score that I feel most compelled to listen to from beginning to end from him as opposed to, say, like The Dark Knight, where for me, it's a great musical experience during the movie, but 
the dramatic moments that you remember during the movie, when you go back and listen to the score, they're kind of scattered throughout it, and you're kind of waiting for those. Interstellar, on the other hand, um, I can definitely listen to that one from front to back, and it's just outstanding throughout the whole thing. It's a great road trip album. Um, I can remember a time heading up uh, to Michigan to see my family. My sister flew in from Vegas into Cleveland, and we drove up together. We were listening to the Interstellar score, and it's kind of a dark, cloudy day on the road for a while. And I just remember, I don't remember what track it was on, but this train started coming down uh, on the track parallel to the highway. And I just remembered that score can make anything epic and just <laughs> no matter what it is. I remember seeing a meme or a vine before of someone like microwaving their pizza rolls to, uh, I think, No Time for Caution, one of the songs uh, from the end of the movie. And it's just really an incredible work from Hans Zimmer. I got a... Aaron, did... Oh, sorry, Tyler, you go I was going to say, I have a pretty hot take on this movie in that um, I saw it on my birthday, actually, November 7th, and I was just so overhyped to see this movie, like, had the tickets for IMAX, Night Of, and knew it was similar to 2001 A Space Odyssey and that he was drawing inspiration from that movie, actually, um, to make Interstellar, um, which is pretty kind of evident. And I was uh, 100% disappointed. I haven't seen the movie since, but I thought it was long drawn out. And the themes of like love that kind of played out, I just feel like there's a lacking Christopher Nolan. I love his movies, but the emotional pieces, the pieces where he's trying to get like at the heartstrings at the love ports, always fall just epically flat for me. So I don't know. It just I had too high expectations going in, but I, I, I just can't bring myself to like in that movie and nothing to do with the soundtrack either i think the soundtrack was amazing the black hole scene's amazing but as a whole i just think it's a fundamentally flawed movie that i don't really i just don't enjoy it that's just i don't know i don't think that's as much um I, that that seems to be a common gripe people have a lot of problems with that movie and think it is uh overhyped but so I've heard that before, for sure. And that's actually a really good point you just made about how his love stories kind of fall short because you're, the more I think about it in some of his movies, I'm thinking right now, like, they do kind of fall short. I mean, every love story in Batman, I think, just I can't buy into whatsoever. Um, that Yeah, we're going off topic here. Back, back, to, back to Hans Zimmer. Um, Another good one from Hans Zimmer um, that we also mentioned already though that i have to uh reiterate is inception that one is also very listenable it's only like 35 40 minutes i think the score is and interstellar is a lot longer so sometimes it's easier to listen to that like the first half of it and then listen to the second half of it later um uh aaron did 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 you read the article maybe you saw it i think it was on reddit someone wrote a really cool article on the dunkirk score how he did this, I'm going to butcher this, so I'm just going to speak as minimally about it as possible, but he t took this noise that was a certain pitch, and it was rising, and he also takes a noise that's a much different pitch, like almost the opposite, that's also rising or dropping, and somehow they overlap. So essentially they're making the same noise, but it's sounding different, and it sounds like a continuous, you know, the analogy they used was, you know how the barber poles, like barbershop poles, mm -hmm. look like they're spinning forever. The noise that he creates does this 
constant spin and you don't notice it when you hear it, but it's really what's happening. There's a very interesting article someone wrote on it and I can send it to you because it's like almost a little bit of a mind bender, but it's really, really cool. No, that's cool. And you know, the other thing I see now that you mentioned that it's from Interstellar too, is you always see the thing about how when they're on the water planet, um, Mm -hmm. that clock ticking, the clock was there. Yeah. Yeah. The clock ticking represents one day. Is it one day passing on earth is each tick of the clock. Was that proven? I I, I thought that was a a rumor because I heard that same. I heard that too. I mean, I, I don't know. I it seems like pretty far measures to go to if it's not going to be true. Um, yeah, I don't true. know. I definitely Either way. liked Inception, but it was one of my worst theater-going experiences because I don't know about you guys, but old people in theaters are sometimes <laughs> the worst because they have no idea that they can't just talk over the movie. And every single thing that was happening, this old lady was trying to explain to her husband who couldn't hear like at all, very loudly trying to explain, oh, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And I was like, that's not what's fucking going on. Like I was thinking in my head, like, no, this is like, and so I kept on getting distracted by that and like all their wrong thoughts. I'm like, no, that's not what's going on. This is like a dream within it. Like I thought I had it all mapped out and then it just like epically ruined the movie for me and that, that experience. And I haven't seen the movie since for some reason, but I, I still enjoyed it. It was a good movie. I did like that movie, but like, the experience I would have thought seen in theaters was just, I got kind of ruined. <laughs> All those movies, those Hans Zimmer, Christopher Nolan movies are so loud that I would have thought that that wouldn't be a thing. No. I, fuck. Don't get me going on that. I just saw the Green Book in theaters, and my entire audience that I was with was above 60, mm-hmm. and it's... Oh, it was it was fucking horrible. I mean, it's a very racist movie, and there were a lot of people saying things that I they didn't understand certain racial terms, or they're like, "What did he just say?" And at least two different phones went off, and their phone brightness was on full, <laughs> all the way bright. The volume was all the way up. It's the worst theater experience I've ever had. Yikes! So. Everyone complained about the kids talking <laughs> in movies, but it's always the old people, hundred percent of the time. Not to be ageist, yeah. but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Aaron, sorry. So, my next one is The Revenant. <sighs> directed oh, by Alejandro Gonzalez Inyoritu. Inyoritu is the bird. man. <laughs> um, so, The Revenant is the true story of the betrayal of Hugh Glass, who was mauled by a grizzly bear <sighs> and left for dead by his squad on the American frontier. Um, this is another one where I have the book and haven't read it yet. Like Watchmen, um, based on a book, I think the score is by Ryuichi Sakamoto, who more and more recently, I've been really fascinated with him. Um, I'd recently watched his documentary called Ryuichi Sakamoto Koda. And I think I could just talk about this documentary for an entire episode, so I'm not going to get into it, but I really, really highly recommend it. Um, you have to get it on iTunes. It's not on any other streaming services, but um, really excellent documentary. It covers the uh, Fukushima nuclear disaster after the tsunami in Japan in, in uh, 2011, I think, and his uh, fight with cancer. And then all, all this stuff that he did back in the 80s when he was a pop star in Japan, collaborating with like Madonna and David Bowie and 
Um, really cool documentary. Um, so this score also has music from Bryce Dessner, who a lot of people know better as a guitarist from the indie band The National. Oh. Um, I saw him at Eau Claire's Festival a couple years back with 8th Blackbird and So Percussion, where he did some of his stuff as a film composer. He actually won a Grammy for that, so he's pretty successful in that part of his career. Um, and so he's got some stuff on this score as well. So this is another one like Interstellar for me where I can definitely easily listen to the entire score from beginning to end. It's pretty minimal and very dark and fits that overall dark tone of the movie. With powerful moods, mix of intense violence, contrasting with just the beauty of nature on the American frontier. The score really, to me, captures just the vastness and serenity of nature in like a religious way but also how cold and unforgiving it is for Hugh Glass as he's like trying to survive out there. Um, and especially after watching this documentary, it really enlightens you to the, to the way that film composers think and how it's so different. And the way that they experience the world around them is so much more profoundly meaningful than the way that we do to me. Especially, and this, that documentary really sheds light on it. But there's lots of different sounds of nature in the movie and human breath and things like that that Maybe you notice a little bit in the movie, but after watching the documentary, it's like Sakamoto's out here like in the Arctic recording the sound of snow melting under under the ice and stuff like that. And he just goes out in nature and records sounds. And he's just like, the way he appreciates regular sound in daily life is so far beyond, I feel like, the way that we do. And um, I just think that was really cool. Um, I am shaking my head so much. I wish we were in a... Uh, video podcast i couldn't agree with you more that scene with leo <laughs> and the bear is so nuts it's mm-hmm. one of the craziest scenes i've ever seen yeah you know that and i always remember that first battle scene too of just how oh ugly, yeah ugly just the reality of combat is the way they portray it not in the romanticized way that's in a lot of other movies but that that scene is so just like brutal it just makes your stomach sink and it's excellent yeah um, have you guys seen Overlord? Um, no. It was a World War II B thriller movie, B horror movie, whatever. It came out this year, and it's got zombies involved in it. It was actually way better than it should have been. J.J. Abrams was involved with it. But the opening scene reminded me of The Revenant when I saw it because the very opener, the opening scene is like extremely intense, and they're flying into Germany. And they're like in the plane and it just, they enter the war zone and there's bolt holes flying through the bottom of the plane. People are dying. They end up parachuting out. And it's just like, just like Revenant right off the bat, you're like, holy fuck. Like this is war. Like this actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like in both, both cases are much different term types of violence. But like when a movie can capture it that well and just scare you from the beginning and just kind of make you realize this isn't just a movie. Like this is their best representation of what was actually happening. Like people went through this. It mm-hmm. gives you a weird feeling, and the music can match it so well. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, so that brings me to my last one. I have a couple other things I want to mention afterwards, but this one is definitely my favorite film score or soundtrack all time. Um, Ron Howard's movie, A Beautiful Mind. The 2002 nice. Best Picture winner, Ron Howard. You guys know he did uh, 
the Da Vinci Code, Apollo 13, Cinderella Man. Recently, he did that Han Solo movie. He um, also narrates Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Happy Days as well. What's his character in Happy Days? Uh, I, I can't think of his character's name, but I know you're talking yeah, about. He's one of the main guys. I always think of him from that. <laughs> Anyway, the movie stars Russell Crowe as the brilliant mind, John Nash, um, who, you know, as a student at Princeton when he was young, he develops paranoid schizophrenia, and the movie is mostly about that. Um, You know, in the end, he ends up, as we know from history, winning the Nobel Prize for his work on game theory. This one is also based on a book by Sylvia Nassar, and I also bought that book. This went on this book buying spree, and... Haven't read a bunch of them yet. Uh, this one's pretty thick, so I don't know when I'm going to get to it. But um, <laughs> So the score is from James Horner. It's the only James Horner score that I listen to. Um, he died in a plane crash in 2015. He was just, like, I think he was flying his own personal plane out in California, and, you know, an accident happened, and the plane went down. So that's a shame. But... Um, the score that he made for Beautiful Mind, for me, was the ultimate study album in college, more so than any other music. Um, I Just because of the nature of the movie, I would think of that scene of John Nash scribbling equations on his window at Princeton in chalk or whatever, and that listening to the score and studying to that just like put you in a higher level of thinking. And I, I studied that album like every semester for all of college. Um, I mean, just the way that, just because of what the movie is about too, he really just kind of captures the human mind and the struggle of it in the form of music through that score. So I don't know. That one is definitely like nothing comes close to that one. Um, as far as favorite soundtracks or scores. Richie Cunningham. Um, Sorry. Is that the happy day? Yes, I, I had to okay. look it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's killing me. <laughs> uh, that that movie's it's almost I agree, Aaron. That's it's such a good movie, and it's it's almost painful to watch how sad it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like seeing him I and mean, Russell Crowe did an amazing job with it. Um, it's just like the anything that really touches on schizophrenia and stuff is just it's very sad and terrifying. And the fact that people have to go through that um, and live with it and the fact that he was able to be so successful with it. I, I wish I could remember the score better. I'm trying so hard to remember it and I can't. So I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, there's definitely a main theme that kind of comes back again and again throughout the album. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's just like I don't even connect it with the movie in my head anymore sometimes. Like sometimes it's just really? an album that I can listen to completely separately from it. That's how you know it's good. Yeah, like, that's Pretty cool. We actually watched the um, movie in my psychology class in high school. It was like a, a thing to learn about <laughs> schizophrenia. So I remember being a very, very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple other ones that are kind of like honorable mentions I want to throw out. Um, but it's it's more of the composers and their body of work. You guys always laugh whenever I bring anything up about a kid's movie, but I have to give a shout out to Randy Newman. He's oh. known for oh, yes. doing the scores for those <laughs> Disney Pixar movies. And we're talking about the classics for us, for millennials. You got you know. a friend in me. Exactly. Yeah. Toy Story. Um, go <laughs> go listen to the song The Cleaner from Toy Story 2 and think about this. Without his music, 
those movies would be nothing. I mean, kids' movies didn't True. deserve how good his music was. Listen to that song, The Cleaner. And just, you'll remember that scene, and you'll remember, like, without that, that scene wouldn't have the, you know, imaginative uh, effect that it had on you as a kid. Um, also, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Did, did, you, did you guys watch Family Guy? Like, old, old Family Guy? A little bit. A little bit here and there. Do you remember the, the Y2K episode where the world ends? Oh my God. There's a funny Randy Newman scene where like they're just, he's just shows up and he's singing a song about every single move they're making. And every time I hear Randy Newman, all I can think of is that scene. Yeah. His like actual. <laughs> no, I mean, I, have, I haven't seen it. So. Like some of his albums he put out, like Short People. I like that song. Short People Got No Reason. You know that song or oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like some like a heartbreaking song too that's like really emotional i can't remember my friend dan loves randy newman like he has actually like randy newman vinyls and stuff that's cool yeah you know his mu- music just like in the movies at least just it's like he knows knew something that we didn't know he made music mm-hmm. that now that we're older just if you listen to it it makes you want to go back to the simpler times of being a kid and <sighs> you know yeah definitely yeah so there's him and the other one i want to throw out there um i know i don't really know exactly how to pronounce his name sorry for over americanizing this for sure but alexandre desplat you guys know him so he did he's basically um hans zimmer and christopher nolan like he's wes anderson's counterpart in the same way um so (laughs) (laughs) this french guy um so he's done a ton of movies that you guys have seen obviously the wes anderson ones grand budapest that one won best score the same year that it was up against the theory of everything interstellar and the imitation game which is another one that displated the imitation game have you guys seen that movie I haven't seen it yet, but I know what it is. Benedict Cumberbatch, that one right? That sweet. That's a story about yeah. Alan Turing breaking the Nazi code in World War II. It's really uh-huh. good. Um, he did The Shape of Water also. Um, Holy shit. And he also did... Okay, so when it comes to Harry Potter, most people think John Williams, and they think about that main theme that's like in the opening credits uh-huh. of the first movies. Yeah. Desplat did The Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Part 2, which for me are the best scores out of the eight movies. Um, and man, if, like, if you guys have ever found yourself in the mood for Harry Potter, but reading the books or watching the movies is feeling too daunting, you know, but you kind of want to go back know, that, down that memory lane, um, I know exactly what you mean. listen to the score. I mean, especially okay. from Deathly Hollows, the, the, I think I, I want to say part one, it starts with, uh, the track Obliviate, which if you, you know. That the name of that song should recall what the scene is about in the beginning of that movie, and then Snape goes to something. Snape goes to Malfoy Manor, I think. Um, both of those are super, like two of the best tracks on the on the score. Um, Speaking of like Harry Potter and soundtracks, I can't remember if it's part one or two. I think part two, no, maybe part one, where Harry and Hermione. It's after Ron had already left, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of went off. Remember when Harry and Hermione are sitting there in the tent and that song comes on the radio and they're like listening to it and they dance? I can remember the scene. I don't remember the song. It was just like a beautiful scene and the song matched it perfect. I can't think of the song either, but um, so it wasn't a score related, but just those movies are great. Yeah. 
I have to mention this because you guys brought up Harry Potter, and I think it makes me remind of like epic fantasy scores. And I can't end this podcast without giving a shout out to the Lord of the Rings score. Oh my God, that I yeah. love that growing up by Howard Shore, the, the theme for the Shire. I remember concerning hobbits. That's concerning what hobbits, yes. <laughs> oh my God, I would go out for runs and like they had like the Mordor theme and stuff. Like when you're running, it's like so mm-hmm. epic. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, <laughs> I would love running to that music. It was just I. It's one of the only like soundtracks. Like, I've actually just downloaded and had my iPod. I was on my iPod. <laughs> Alright, hold up real quick. Just gotta put this in there. Um, we gotta do an episode on running music. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely. Have so much for that. Yep. yep. Very, yeah, definitely. That's gonna be a I fun one. I running um, music, but. Oh, man. Well, working out, whatever. <laughs> working out. Music that gets you pumped. Yeah. All right, all right. I, it was funny, sir, when we were talking about iPods with my friend earlier today, uh, when I mentioned that earlier, uh, he brought up how when I was in high school, like I was that guy, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same. I couldn't go anywhere without my iPod. Like I needed it and I lost it for maybe like a few months and I had an iPad and, you know, it was an original iPad. So it was huge and I needed like warm up music for hockey. So I'd take my iPad to hockey games and put it in a drawstring bag and have my headphones coming out from behind my back listening to it. Yeah, I remember so I was walking around with this big bulky iPad in my back listening to music. I would mow the lawn with it on. Just you have to go through links. Lawn mowing music, I'd love to talk about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. I always got yelled at by my parents for that because about how it's not actually protecting your hearing if you just blast music instead of wearing earplugs. <laughs> Well, it wasn't even for protecting my hearing. I would just do it. It's like my meditation hour. I would love to mow the lawn because I'd just be in my own little world listening to music and mm-hmm. outside. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully music. we still got people listening, but we're hitting close to the two-hour mark here, so I think we got to call it a night. <laughs> I think it's midnight Eastern for you guys. So. <laughs> yeah. we this went, If we would have tried to combine this with episode three, that would have been horrible. <laughs> So. Well, good thing we didn't. Yeah, so obviously, like and <laughs> yeah. subscribe, listening to the Spotify playlist. Anybody got anything else? Aaron, we kind of cut you off there a lot, so we I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's pretty much all that I had, so <laughs> nothing else for me. We'll see you guys on episode five. Uh, yeah, once again, down in the group podcast on Spotify, the link will be included in the show notes, and there will be a lot on this episode four um playlist so get excited for that peace all right bye